This is the Weekly Bull and Bear by WealthFest, a podcast for financial professionals. Each week, Drew Dockin and Grant Collins will have an in-depth conversation on what's happening in the markets. Hello, everybody. Today, it is October 6th. It's Wednesday. Markets reacted pretty positively today. That was up about 100 points. Um, VIX was down slightly, 1.41%. S&P was up 0.41%. We saw treasuries more or less flat, 1.53%. Ultimately, positive news came from two factors. Private jobs rose by 568,000 for the month. That's according to a report Wednesday from payroll processing firm ADP. That's better than what the Dow Jones estimated. Uh, they thought it'd be 425,000. And um, last month we had a Dow word revision of 340,000 jobs. So we're up uh, actually a big clip, um, especially considering the light of, you know, it's been a Delta variant going on and, and people expected things to be pretty sluggish. Second, uh, Mitch McConnell offered a short-term suspension of the U.S. debt. Still need a more permanent solution at some point. Grant, what should we be talking about today? I think yeah, the last point you hit was the really big one. Having a fixed dollar amount to cover the current spending levels into December will be huge while they continue to negotiate. The thought of the U.S. defaulting on their debt obligations I believe was was a big driver over the last couple of weeks and why we saw such volatility in the market during September and now into into October. Could we say that the debt ceiling discussions have been shenanigans? I mean, it seems like it has been out of Washington. When one when one party is pulling shenanigans, the other one is pulling shenanigans right back in the same way. Right. So we saw Mitch McConnell operate in a way where now he his quote was to protect the american people from near-term democrat created crisis and he goes on to say we'll do a fixed dollar amount pretty funny because the debt ceiling wasn't created that quickly it happened from stimulus over the last rounds with when president trump was in office but then also prior as well um so it just didn't happen overnight Mm -hmm. Big news uh, happened last week that we should definitely discuss is the Merck's come out with the experimental pill. This is the first pill that's come out. Everything else has been IV in terms of treatment. They had a study. They tracked 775 adults uh, really within a five-day period of displaying moderate symptoms, moderate to mild, uh, and they were looking at people who had underlying conditions, diabetes, um, heart issues, you know, the, the, the run, running the gamut, really. Uh, ultimately, we saw that it's really lowered deaths and um, severe outbreaks by about half. Uh, this is um, massive. Merck and their partner, Ridgeback uh, Biotherapeutics, um, you know, have been developing it, and, and it's certainly caused for, I don't know, quite, quite a deal of optimism. Um, you know, they're going to the FDA. So. so we saw that the results that came out when they were being viewed by an independent group of medical experts to stop the trial short because the interim results were, were so strong and that we've seen health experts 
including um, Dr. Fauci himself, has long been call calling for this pill because it's a lot easier to, to distribute across the United States and really uh, has been effective. We saw this with the influenza drug, Tamiflu, uh, that helps flight influenza, which is really important because that's how we're going to continue to control the waves of, of infection. So we saw the U.S. government commit to purchase 1.7 million doses of the drug once it's authorized by the FDA. Merck thinks that they can produce 10 million doses by the end of the year. So they'll really be able to, to pump this out, which would be a, a big win. We did see that the CDC also endorsed a, a Pfizer COVID booster shot. Uh, looks like they opened it to a wider range of people. Uh, really, only right now Pfizer Pfizer's vaccine has the third dose, and it looks like Moderna and Johnson and Johnson will also ha have filed data with the FDA for third booster shots. Yeah, the Pfizer news is big. I mean, you've got roughly sixty million, the hundred million uh, Americans who originally took Pfizer are now eligible um, for this booster. Right now, what the CDC is recommending is that, you know, people who are 65 and older and in long-term care settings should receive a booster. Um, additionally, people, you know, 50 to 64 with some underlying conditions should also be receiving the booster, uh, all this within, you know, the first six months of their, their initial um, Pfizer, Pfizer uh, vaccine. Right now, there's still up in the air about what the efficacy is and what the necessity is, is going to be uh, in terms of Moderna. Um, the conversation with your wife, she seems like I'm in the clear. So that was good <laughs> news. Uh, apparently they got a larger viral load. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they're going to play out. Um, there's still still more to be determined in terms of the, the other vaccines out there and, and when and if you should be taking boosters. Well, it seems like the Moderna, as you said, is, is the Cadillac of the vaccine so far, but more to come on that. Bugatti so, vaccines. <laughs> so let's uh, let's switch gears here, Drew, and let's talk about the what the Fed came out with last week. So they met for the first beginning of the week last week. We saw Jerome Powell's comments come out. Stock market didn't react too much to it. Some think it's because a lot of the expectations that came out of, of the report were already priced into the market, anticipating rate hikes in, in 2020. Two, and then also the, the quantitative easing to, to stop and then also to, the, the reselling of these bonds. Drew, anything that we should take away from the Fed's comments? Well, I mean, what we're looking at is a lot of this has been built in the cake. Uh, we always expected tapering would probably happen in November or December. Um, and, you know, it's been running about $15 billion a month. Um, to, you know, so it can end in, in mid-2022. Um, but, but yeah, so, I mean, it seems like that was priced into the stock market. There's other analysis that Jerome Powell's becoming better communicator. <laughs> uh, he had what was considered the worst press conference performance of any Fed chair. Uh, <laughs> I, I think he speaks English just as good as the next guy. So, so I don't know. I don't know what what analysts are looking for in these press conferences, but um, apparently he's better at it. Uh, so that, that's another thing. Well, it's interesting because he has to say a lot, but not a lot at the same time because he doesn't want the markets to, to overreact or mm -hmm. underreact to what to what he's saying. 
It is interesting that there is a lot of critics right now for, for Jerome Powell as he's coming up on a renewal of his term. Uh, so his term will be up in February. So they'll either be looking to give him another term or replace him. It, it is interesting. I mean, if you want to talk about shenanigans, Elizabeth Warren seems to always be at them. And so she's right now really opposing the nomination because of the uh, top Fed officials with their personal accounts last year did some trading right, right before the pandemic to protect their policies. She's kind of up in arms about this policies. I would tell her to really look inward first and have those conversations with her Senate members uh, before targeting other people as well. Yeah, there's certainly been one or two instances of uh, some short selling <laughs> pre-COVID <laughs> from our elected officials. Um, or investing in the in the companies that are developing the vaccines, right? I mean, we talked about Merck with the pill that stock skyrocketed and I'm sure there was a couple people close to the FDA or even the Senate who had that information, right? So mm -hmm. yeah, razor sharp fundamental insight on behalf of a lot of senators that we saw. But yeah, I mean, one is, I mean, the Fed's for a long time, I mean, I guess it's not surprising, but it's always been one of the most respected institutions, you know, within the framework of American society. Ironically, most of the respected institutions in this country come from unelected positions. Now that we're talking about military joints, chief of staffs or, or the Fed. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, it's 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 they they've been bruised a little bit by these allegations, but I mean overall, I the efficacy of the Fed in these last two recessions, from a personal opinion, I think they've done a good job. So Me too. his results, yeah. Well, we're worried about one aspect of his term. I mean, he created a pandemic where our economy is now growing. People are going back into jobs. We had a huge pandemic. I mean, we're we're in a lot better shape because of the Fed's actions, and, and so I. I think if you only criticize them for one aspect and don't look at what they were doing as he steered the ship out of the pandemic, I think is kind of a miss. They also are harping on him for not being strict enough on, on banking regulations. But what is he supposed to do when there's a pandemic? Is he going to start slapping down restrictions on balance sheets to banks when deposits are growing? I mean, it's a little silly. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, when we're looking at 10-year treasuries, uh, LPL Financial, at least, no longer expects the 10-year to climb by 2% year-end. Um, you know, their their fixed strategist, Lawrence Gillum, said we should be in the range of 1.5 to 1.75. I mean, as we spoke today, right, it's it's hovering around 1.5. Uh, there's a lot of reasons behind that. One of them is there seems to be um, there's higher inflation expectations. Um, than initially, you know, than might what the is panning out. We're about to immediately contradict ourselves when we talk about Costco, Nike, and FedEx and what they're saying. But yeah, I mean, apparently inflation expects expectations, according to at least these analysts, has been more muted than they expected. Um, and then another interesting thing I'll mention is that the Japanese and the Europeans need to fund their pension liabilities. They're aging. This is a structural issue, and U.S. debt is still one of the most attractive elements of fixed income out there. So you're seeing a lot of private pensions, European and Japanese, you know, they're still continuing to gobble up bonds. It is interesting, but it's, it is to be expected because there was 
thoughts that the 10-year could even climb to three at the start of the year with the optimism of GDP. Uh, really, I think there are two main things. One is the Delta variant has, we're starting to see GDP growth. All those forecasts are now revised lower, which are having an impact on the 10-year treasury um, and really keeping the interest rates anchored at their current levels, as you just mentioned. And the the flow to safety, I think, is going to continue to happen because of the revised GDP. So it's a bit of causation there. So we could see rates continue to be there as people flee to these safe haven assets. Yeah. Now let's talk about analysis in terms of freight, in which we are seeing some um, inflation. I mean, you saw Costco, you saw Nike, you saw you know um, FedEx. You know, all really talking about how the cost of ship containers overseas has just skyrocketed. Um, I, one example is 40 foot container from Shanghai, New York, costs about um, 2000 years, let's say, year and a half ago. Uh, now it's running at 16 grand. So, I mean, you're also seeing supply constraints that we've talked about over the months, especially in terms of things like chips and semiconductors. Um, Unfortunately, some of these might be more long term than you know we probably would have hoped. Uh, so a lot of these bottlenecks might continue for quite some time. And just ultimately, I mean, we had globalized supply chains and they've just got to be completely reorganized, meaning that, I mean, the most bearish, I guess, analysis would be that we could be entering into a stagflationary environment like we've seen in the 70s, where we see higher inflation and also sluggish growth, which is really, you know, a two punches and you're out kind of scenario. I think the interesting thing will be to see what happens to their bottom line uh, net income after this, because, you know, permanent inflationary items, yes, that makes sense if you have to pay higher wages, but the cost of oil will go back down. Computer chips will go back down once they supply begins to catch up. I think it's a nice play by Costco to why not if why not charge higher prices? And I'm sure that their mm -hmm. their their supplies are are now more expensive because shipping is obviously more expensive with oil. There are labor shortages, so people are not able to move packages as fastly or or freight as quickly. Uh, and then we also just have higher commodity prices all around. Um, overall, I think that companies are going to push prices onto their customers for as long as they can. We have seen that trillions in the government stimulus during the pandemic has helped personal wealth. So household net worth is up 4.3% in the second quarter, which is pretty significant. So as long as customers are willing to pay the higher prices, companies are going to continue to pass, pass them along. Um, especially going into the holiday season, we're going to see inflation continue to rise because the demand is going to be higher and the supply is still not going to be there. Yeah, a lot of M3 out there. Um, FedEx, for example, this week announced that it'd be hiking shipping rates by 5.9% for domestic services and 7.9% for other offerings. Uh, one one good thing that we've been seeing is that uh, dividend ratios, uh, payout ratios have been increasing. Um, they're expected to be 1.39 trillion in 2021, um, which is stronger than expected. It's coming from British asset manager Janice Henderson. Um, I mean, when you look at long-term dividend payout ratios, 
the big story to say is, I mean, companies have often been foregoing them uh, in, in because they wanted stock buybacks. So you know, the fact that you know, dividend payments yeah, second quarter jumped 26% from the same time last year, uh, you know, I think is good news for people who are seeking fixed income and, and who still want some equity exposure. Yeah, so the forecast for dividends, as you mentioned, 3% below the pre-pandemic peak. So before the pandemic, we did have peak dividend payments. It really shows that the rebound was stronger than we were thinking. And I do believe it's an encouraging sign, not just in the U.S., but in, in Europe and other places are also doing their dividend payments, which shows that companies are feeling strong with their balance sheets and are looking to return cash to their shareholders, which is is a sign of a strengthening economy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess one quick fun mention we should mention is uh, Michael Burry, who is famous from his depiction uh, in the big short, uh, you know, said that he got a SEC subpoena over GameStop. Um, you know, he mentioned a now deleted tweet uh, with all that's going on in the world. Uh, so, yeah, I just thought we'd be remiss not to mention that, uh, you know, your, your, your favorite, uh, no, he's not your favorite guy in the big show, right? You're, you're more of a, you think you're a Steve Carell. Oh yeah. 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 But you know, Christian Bale's character is good too. That's the guy who's was subpoenaed for SEC. Um, and GameStop is an interesting one because the saga continues. We were talking about it earlier today. The share price is still, as of Friday, it was at 185. And we have most of the analysts who are following the stock has now just thrown the towel in there. They're over it. Can't blame them. Uh, there are a couple. Uh, FactSet uh, has looking at their price for a 60% decline to 71. And then you also have um, another capital markets group having it go to 24. I think if you try and put a short on this, they'll probably start squeezing you again. Mm-hmm. So uh, mo- I think they're leaving GameStop in the rear view for the moment. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about um, kind of end the conversation, I guess, on levels of corporate debt. Um, a lot of regulators are talking about elevated company debt. Uh, they were doing that before the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, I mean, Fitch downgraded 460 firms, which is about 20% of its corporate portfolio. Uh, there seems to be a lot of after effects when, when corporate debt um, booms like this. Uh, and, and even creditors themselves a lot of times, you know, in, in, in lieu of increasing defaults. Um, so what, what should we make about, you know, current examples of uh, corporate debt? Well, it was a recent paper that really examines data on business cycles for about 17 advanced countries over more than a century and, and how corporate debt have busted and, and really then looked at that compared to uh, individuals with household borrowing. And really what they saw is, is the main takeaway that, that I would see from this is the, the authors argued that <clears throat> companies are incentivized to restructure old debt. So really when we hear the zombie companies um, and then that term has been passed around a lot during the pandemic because these zombie companies were propped up by the stimulus of getting PPP loans to help them with their debt, write things off, um, is a little bit different because they, they incentivize to rewrite the debt. The creditors who have a stake on this are likely to get that are likely to 
approve that because they'd rather get something rather than a goose egg. And then if we compare that to household debt, where if there is a pandemic or you're over levered, restructuring a bunch of individual mortgage payments is going to be nearly impossible compared to a, a large company's balance sheet. So really what they saw is um, the, the risks of the property compared to corporate debt is really not there because when we do see a company go belly up, let's say an Evergrande, that could have ripple effects, but it's really only going to affect the people who are holding those bonds. Whereas mortgages, if you have a run on mortgages, you know, 2008. Yeah. Right. And when you bring up 2008, I guess kind of a good point to make is that lenders in much of the rich world are in a lot better shape than they were in 2008. A lot of that has to do with the ample regulatory stress tests that have taken a part across the world and, and in the United States, um, you know, just because you, you just don't want to see that uh, play out again. So I, I think we're better prepared and a lot more proactive in that regard. Um, and the corporate debt has, I mean, it's been compiling and getting bigger, but also companies have been getting bigger and bigger. I mean, look at the market capitalization of a lot of companies now. It's it's a lot bigger than, than it ever has been. And with that comes debt because leverage is, is Warren Buffett always says never use your own money, right? Right. Um, anything we should end on, Grant? What are you looking at? Uh, I, I'm curious to see what comes out of the Facebook outages. So uh, not only on the same day that there was a whistleblower testifying to the Senate, all of a sudden Facebook, I think it was the same day. Wasn't it the same day? Yeah. So, uh, well, it was I think it was sandwiched in between the 60 minutes and then the Congress was the next day. The Congress was the next day. But but anyways, it was just a colossal disaster for Facebook. Um, The whistleblower's comments were, I think, very eye opening. We saw a lot of senators. I think half the senators still don't understand what Facebook is. But some of the comments out of there is. You know, you saw Amy Klobuchar say Facebook and the other big tech companies are throwing a bunch of money around in this town and people are listening to them. Uh, another out of Democrat out of Connecticut said, I've rarely seen uh, the kind of inhumanity on display today. Like it's uh, it's pretty outrageous. So on top of that, they had their outages where a lot of the. Uh, social ads weren't weren't on, so they're going to see a big hit on that. We saw their stock go down five percent that trading day. Uh, so it's interesting to see how Facebook recovers, because uh, in my opinion, I think they should just tear the whole thing apart. It's ironic that all these geriatrics in the Senate don't know how Facebook works when that's how they get all their research. <laughs> so uh, it was six hours of them not being able to do their due diligence. Um, yeah, I mean, I, what I'll mention is. We, we've talked a lot about Renaissance Capital. I mean, U.S. IPOs have been in a really strong position this year. I'd like to bring up the fact that Indian IPOs are also on a major tear, and then just the Indian stock market in general. Um, some, you know, Goldman Sachs, for example, thinks it could grow um, to more than five trillion in the Indian stock market and could be the fifth largest in the next within the next three years. Uh, and you've seen Indian startups raise ten billion. Through IPO so far this year, uh, so that's better than the last three years. So yeah, I mean, uh, when you're looking at the larger Pacific area and uh, I guess in, in Asia, and then I mean, obviously the Indian Ocean, um, you know, I, I I think that it's this very strong um, could be a very strong play when you're trying to diversify and 
look at some more foreign holdings. Well, and if you look at their their economy, I mean, even though it, they did get hit very hard with COVID over the last couple of months, they've rebounded well. They have a huge labor force, and now their technology is also picking up. So that's going to have a direct impact on their uh, overall GDP, which will help the startups continue to get going. Yeah, no, vaccine rollout's gotten substantially better in India. They've really figured out some of those th- those bottlenecks. Um, all right, everybody, thanks for listening. Uh, next week, we will be recording with our um, the Drawing Capital. Uh, they've definitely been guests on in the past. Um, very excited to hear what they have to say about uh, a wide variety of issues this coming week, whether we're talking about you know the debt ceiling, but also um, they, they've, they're engaged in some new enterprises that I think will be exciting to hear about. So looking forward to that. Thanks for your likes. Thanks for your subscribes. Uh, we'll be with you next week, and we're out. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WellFest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WellFest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WellFest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to the accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the contents. WealthFest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked to any of the contents. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Investment and investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal.